And now, coming to you from the classiest radio station on the air, this is... Evie right back with Midweek Musings. Alright, hello everybody. I hope you liked that new intro. Over the summer, um, as I've been developing season two, I've been also working on some fun new audio tags that I kind of hinted at in the last season. So, stay tuned for more of those. But anyways, welcome back to Midweek Musings. My name is Evie Breitbach, and I am a sophomore student at St. Ambrose University. I'm an English major, and I have two minors in digital media production and multimedia journalism. And welcome to my podcast. This is a podcast and radio show produced by me and KALAFM, which is the radio station at St. Ambrose University. And... This podcast is called Midweek Musings because it airs on Wednesday nights. It's basically a conglomeration of all of the late night thoughts and unanswerable questions that pop into my head at random points, such as, is the universe truly infinite? Or what came first, the chicken and the egg? Things like that. Deep questions. So once a week, I tackle these questions one at a time, and some of them might be answerable through a little research, but others may remain vague and inexplicable by the end. And either way, the goal of this podcast is essentially just to boggle the minds of my listeners a little. And my own, because through research, I get down quite a lot of rabbit holes. Anyways, I hope everyone had a great summer. I definitely did. The past two and a half to three months have been such a good time. But I guess it's time to come back to my responsibilities or whatever. (laughs) Ew. Anyways, at least that means it's podcast season again. I hope everyone's excited for this second season of Midweek Musings. In my opinion, season one went really well, so if you have some time to kill or are interested in listening, why don't you go back and take a little listen to my first eight episodes, but it's totally okay to listen to them out of order, so you can do this one and then the other season if you want. All that being said, I think it's time to get into this first episode of season two. Today's topic is something that I'm really excited to talk about because it's a topic that I've often wondered about since it's a little personal to me, and that topic, ladies and gentlemen, is birthmarks. And the episode is aptly titled, How Long Have I Had This Birthmark? Which is supposed to be like a funny joke, you know, because you get birthmarks when you're born. Hopefully everyone got that. (laughs) If it was just me, I apologize. For some reason, there is a lot of confusion and lore surrounding birthmarks. So today I want to get to the bottom of what birthmarks are, why we get them, and some of the myths and legends that surround them. I'm also kind of hoping that this episode will educate some people about birthmarks because I have several birthmarks and a couple bigger ones that when I was a kid were even bigger than they are now and I've always had people make kind of inappropriate comments about them. Some as innocent as asking what it is and others asking, you know, what was in my mouth or why my cheeks are swollen because I have a birthmark on my left cheek or if I was ever going to get the one on my arm, quote, cut off, unquote. You get the point. Let's spread some knowledge about birthmarks that people aren't as clueless. According to Kids Health, birthmarks are marks on the skin that a baby can develop before birth or soon after. Birthmarks can be flat or raised, have regular or irregular borders, and have different shades of coloring from brown, tan, black, or pale blue, pink, red, or purple. Most birthmarks are harmless and may even go away on their own or shrink over time. And doctors actually don't know what causes most birthmarks, which of course has led to a lot of ideas about how they come about, but we'll get into that later. Red birthmarks are caused by an overgrowth of blood vessels, while blue or brown birthmarks are caused by pigment cells, which kind of defines our two main types of birthmarks, which are called vascular birthmarks and pigmented birthmarks. 
Vascular birthmarks are known as blood vessel birthmarks and can be divided into three subcategories. The first, macular stains, are also referred to as salmon patches, angel kisses, or stork bites. They appear as faint red marks and are most common and are the most common type of vascular birthmark. They usually appear on the forehead, around the eyes or eyelids, back of the neck, upper lip, nose, or back of the head. And they usually fade on their own by the time the child is one or two, but sometimes they last longer. And here's a little fun fact. I have a macular stain on the back of my neck. It's super faint now, but when I was a kid, it was a lot more noticeable, especially when my hair was shorter, like when I was a baby. The second kind of vascular birthmark is a hemangioma, which is not spelled the way you think it would be, <laughs> but I looked up the pronunciation, so hopefully I'm right. Hemangioma. Hemangioma birthmarks appear as slightly raised and bright red skin. They won't be noticeable until a few days or weeks after a baby is born. These birthmarks are also referred to as strawberry marks, which I think is so cute because <laughs> it makes it seem a little bit less horrible for a kid who has a hemangioma birthmark. In addition, hemangioma birthmarks also grow bigger for the first six months of life and then shrink and usually disappear by age 5 to 10, but will leave behind abnormal skin when they are gone. Fun fact number two, <laughs> I have a hemangioma birthmark on my arm. It's still there even though I'm 19. <laughs> Lucky me. It has gotten a lot smaller over time, but I really didn't know that they were supposed to be gone by the time you're 10, so that's interesting. I can't complain too much about it though because these birthmarks actually can cause problems if they interfere with sight, eating, or breathing. For example, one time I saw a little girl who had one of these birthmarks partially covering her eye, and that would interfere with your sight, and so in those cases, doctors recommend getting them removed, but otherwise they're completely harmless. The last kind of vascular birthmark is called a port wine stain. These ones look like wine that has been spilled on an area of the body, most often on the face, neck, arms, or legs. These marks can be any size, but they grow as the child grows. They tend to feel like pebbles under the skin and never go away completely. Oh look, another fun fact! I have a port wine stain on my left cheek face cheek by the way don't get any ideas <laughs> doctors and dentists often have thought it's a tumor like that don't know me if they don't know me they're like oh what is this let me investigate and they think it's a tumor because of the pebbly nature to it like it has texture on if you squeeze it please don't squeeze my face this one also has shrunken and gotten lighter as i've gotten older which is actually abnormal because most of the time port wine stains grow and darken Oh yeah, and one of my gymnastics teachers as a kid thought I was abused. She was like about to call CPS on my family because she thought I got hit. <laughs> I did not. It was a birthmark. Anyway, so that pretty much sums up blood vessel or vascular birthmarks. But what about pigmented birthmarks? These can also be divided into three subcategories. For starters, there's cafe au lait spots. These are very common spots that are the color of coffee mixed with milk, hence cafe au lait, and can appear anywhere on the body. Sometimes they increase in number as you get older, but having a few are not a problem. If you have more than six of these spots, it's recommended that you talk to your doctor about it because it could be a sign of a genetic disorder that causes abnormal cell growth of nerve tissues. Oh look, part four in the Where's That Birthmark series. Yes, I do indeed have a Cafe Olay birthmark. It's on my right ankle, and it's just a little, just a little oval. That's like the color of Cafe Olay. The more you know. <laughs> So that leaves moles, average moles, which are in fact birthmarks, and I didn't know that. 
but we can basically skip over that because everybody knows what a mole is. Anyways, the last type of birthmark that we're going to talk about today is called the Mongolian spot, and these are flat bluish gray patches that are typically found on the lower back and nether regions, if you know what I'm saying, of people of color. And they usually fade by the time the person is four or six. So moving on from what birthmarks are, if you know my podcast, you know what it's time for now. And here comes our never before heard intro to the next segment. It's time for a little bit of history. Yay! I finally did it. That was so exciting. (laughs) If you could see me recording right now, I just did a little fist pump. (laughs) So welcome to everyone's favorite segment, A Little Bit of History. Today we are going to be discussing the historic lore of birthmarks. Throughout time in different cultures and religions, there have been specific significances, meanings, and possible causes for birthmarks. And I thought it would be the perfect topic for today's podcast. For starters, during the Salem witch trials, a birthmark was considered a mark of Satan. And let me just say, if I had been around during this time, I would have been waterboarded and burnt at the stake. No question about it. Because not only do I have a plethora of birthmarks, I also float in water and can do math. Oh my god. (laughs) By Salem witch trial times standards, I am a witch. Please do not use that audio bite out of out of context. More recently than the Salem Witch Trials, a psychiatrist named Dr. Ian Stevenson from Canada spent the greater part of the 1970s and 1980s researching the connection between birthmarks and past lives, and he continued his studies all the way up until his death in 2007. This common belief, or at least a common belief in my experience that random people have felt the need to tell me, is that a birthmark indicates a past life or more specifically, a wound that ended your past life. For example, a circular birthmark could be a bullet wound, a flame or fire-shaped birthmark could indicate burning, and people with no birthmarks are said to have died of natural causes in their past lives. Similarly, but not entirely the same, a sword-shaped birthmark could either show your cause of death in the past or show that you were a warrior or a fighter. In that way, your birthmark is also said to indicate who you were in a past life. Sort of like your identity. Wow. Additionally to past lives, birthmarks that are the shape of lucky omens are said to bring good luck. For example, a four-leaf clover or a rabbit's foot. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen a birthmark that is that specific of a shape, but I feel like if you have a birthmark that's like a shape, (laughs) I feel like you're just going to be lucky. I don't know. My birthmarks are all circular, so maybe that's just me. Anyway, heart-shaped birthmarks are obviously said to be symbols of love, and sometimes people think that people with heart-shaped birthmarks are destined to fall in love with someone else with a heart-shaped birthmark. And sometimes, many people in the same genetic line will have a heart-shaped birthmark, which is actually kind of crazy. And, of course, there's, like, no scientific reason for that right now. (laughs) As I said before, like, no one really knows why you get them, but I feel like there has to be some sort of connection if multiple people in the same family have a heart-shaped birthmark. That's kind of cool. Finally, and this is a really cool part, birthmarks have been used to denote royal status. For example, some common people who disguise themselves as royalty, aka pretenders to the Russian throne, took power in the 17th through 19th centuries by using birthmarks as proof of their royal blood. 
People at that time believed that royals were born with markings on their skin that indicated royal status. According to British historian Maureen Pierre, who wrote a book on the subject called Pretenders, I'm going to shoot my phone, who wrote a book on the subject called Pretenders and Popular Monarchism in the early modern Russia. The belief in this theory was so strong that these pretenders were actually able to take over the Russian throne in 1605. And for people with birthmarks, I think that's just a fun little fact right there. Anyways, that's fun, but here is my most favorite piece of birthmark mythology, and this one's from my sister. <laughs> in Chinese culture, it is said that a birthmark on your tummy means you're greedy. Just thought I'd throw that out there for you. All right. Now that we've discussed many different things that birthmarks could mean, to be honest, I really don't realistically believe that any of the birthmark lore is true, but it makes me feel special and quirky to pretend that I've had several traumatic endings to my various past lives. And I guess you never really know if any of this is true, and I think that's why it's fun to talk about. Now, obviously, we've touched on the fact that doctors don't really know why birthmarks are caused or why some... But some people around the world have come up with the reasons that aren't necessarily religious beliefs or legends. I would just call them myths. Some people claim that it's the mother's fault when the child gets a birthmark, whether it be activities she engages in, food she eats while she's pregnant. These people are convinced it's the mom's quote-unquote fault. In Chinese culture, it's actually common belief for pregnant women to be banned from looking into a fire or flames because that will leave a burn mark on her baby in the form of a birthmark. And it's interesting that these myths still exist, and that they have such negative connotations. And you know what? While I'm here, we should quickly address the negative language that people constantly use surrounding birthmarks. In all the research I did for this episode, and obviously my life experiences, people always act like having a birthmark is such an unfortunate thing to happen to a person. Why is that, I wonder? <laughs> yeah, sure. I've had some bad experiences, and sometimes birthmarks can be unfortunate, like the little girl with a birthmark over her eye. Like, that is actually a problem. But if it's not interfering with any, like, bodily function, then whatever. It's just a cosmetic thing at that point. They're not a bad thing. They're just a part of you. And these medical websites that I was looking for for this information always included a portion on how to get them removed. Like, who to go to, when to get them removed, like, when's the best time in your life how to get one removed from a baby, uh, and maybe, I don't know, maybe we don't need to be telling people that, because then it's just perpetuating this idea that we're not supposed to have them, even though, like, there's nothing that you could do differently to prevent getting a birthmark, it just happens, it's literally just chance, that's just <laughs> Evie's two cents, <laughs> I hope you like that little audio tag, Probably going to be using that one a lot since I oftentimes include my my uh, opinion, which is kind of the point of this podcast, but whatever. All right, so to kind of wrap up this episode, even though we can't be sure if any of the lore and myths are true, of course, that's how it always ends on Midweek Musings, I would like to leave you with one final legend to take with you as you go about your day. In some European countries, it's considered extremely lucky to touch someone with a birthmark. So, for your own sake, highly recommend touching somebody with a birthmark today. <laughs> and on that creepy note, thank you for all of your continued support for this podcast. I'm really excited for the rest of season two. 
definitely stay tuned for more episodes to come because I'm going to be cranking them out like nobody's business this semester. If you haven't already, go check out the other eight episodes in the season one folder <laughs> um, for your listening pleasure. Take a little lesson and gain some super unnecessary, super niche, and also super cool knowledge while you're at it. And I will see you next week on Midweek Musings. Midweek Musings airs at 6.30 on Wednesday nights on 106.1 FM in the Quad Cities area. But you can also find it on Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was recorded at the studios of KALA-FM St. Ambrose University. Opinions expressed are not necessarily those of KALA Radio or St. Ambrose University.